This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Tuesday. It is August 30th, and if you've been listening to AOA recently, you know that August 30th is the first day of the Farm Progress Show 2022. I am very excited. AOA will be broadcasting live for the next three days from the Trelleborg booth here. That's number 928 on the grounds at the Farm Progress Show. Currently on location this morning. Saw the doors open at 8. Saw the great rush of people come into the grounds. First time in five years we have had a Farm Progress Show here in Boone. And I tell you, folks, the excitement is palpable. There is a great crowd. And there's a great crowd of attendees and there's a great crowd of staff running, showing off the equipment that is on display here for farmers to move their operation to the next level in 2022. And one of those very knowledgeable staff is joining me this morning, Chris Nider. You've heard him on the program this year several times. He is the training, marketing and development manager at Trelleborg. Chris, you're responsible for a lot of the technology that's on display here at the Trelleborg booth. Thanks for joining us. Well, Mike, as we do at Trelleborg, we're at the forefront of technology all the time. We're displaying it here again at the Farm Progress 2022. We love to be back in Boone, Iowa. I just had some friends stop by the booth. They see me every year, and the fellas came by, Jim and Frank. So it was very nice to uh, see these. But we do have our staff here. We have all the Trelleborg product, whether you're a row crop tractor, high horsepower tractor, sprayer, spreader, combine, please come by the booth. We have a lot of product on display. Chris, if, if I'm somebody out there and I don't think about tires all that often, right? It's not my industry, like it's yours. Why would I come and talk tires? What is the technology that's being unveiled in the world of tires? What do you guys have new this year, Chris, at the Trelleborg booth? Well, we position the Trelleborg product, Mike, up in the upper ultra premium category. So if you're running uh, our niche, Mike, I would have to say is the high horsepower tractor, but we have product for all types. We have our technology, what we call progressive traction. Now that's been out for a little bit, but we have several tires here. That's gonna be an extra step off the lug to give you some extra traction, 15 to 18% better traction if you wanna quote some numbers. It makes a huge footprint on the ground, you know in the ag business, footprint, compaction, ground pressure, a huge thing. Our tires have a really large footprint to reduce that ground pressure. Traction's very good on the tire as well. VF technology, as you're talking about that expanded footprint on the ground, the ability for that sidewall to stretch, Chris, that VF I've seen on several tires here on display, what does that mean? Now, Mike, first of all, I gotta really appreciate you saying that because we've talked a couple of times and you're very trainable on the technology. So trainable. VF technology, <laughs> yes. no, very high, <laughs> that means very high flexion. It's talking about the strength of the sidewall it lets the end user run up to 40% less air. Now, what's that gonna do for you? That's gonna make the footprint bigger. Not only wider, it's gonna make it longer. I'm going back to the flotation compaction situation there. You wanna reduce that ground pressure, increase the crop yield, whatever you're growing. 
Absolutely. And part of the traction game is keeping those tires clean. Chris, I used to feed cattle and I know when that mud gets in there and you just start slipping and sliding, it's, it's not a fun adventure. Trelleborg has some technology that can help with that. You were talking to me this morning about the different lines or steps in between these lugs. Chris, how do they work? Mike, we've got another nice feature on the tire. We call it interlug terracing. I actually, I use the term terrace lugs. Its main feature is to keep the tread clean. One of the culprits of uh, losing traction is mud starts to load up, up into those tread lugs. When that happens, the tires start to slip. It takes longer to complete your work. And you know what else? You use extra fuel. So these terrace lugs really work well. They actually do keep the tire clean and it really improves the traction. And I say this all the time on sales calls or whatever. If we're known for anything, it's traction in our product. And when we think about the Trelleborg brand, we've talked about some of the technologies that are on offer from the brand, but that interlock terracing, as I look through the tires that are on display here, Chris, I believe I see it on every one. Is that a, is that a standard feature on a Trelleborg tire? Yes, it's on all our product. Uh, again, if you're gonna buy a Trelleborg product and you can come to the booth and you can put your hands on it. I, again, I'm back to the touchy-feely. It's on all the Trelleborg branded product. Yeah. And, you know, we talked a little bit about progressive traction. We're starting to bring that design in most of our tread patterns as well. Interesting. So folks can come by the booth. They can talk tires. They can talk tires with people that are passionate about tires, but they can also hear some other things. Chris, you've got some other events going on here today. We're going to be doing a panel talking carbon markets. That's an issue I imagine you've heard brought up by farmers at different trade shows, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I'm not a carbon expert. I'm an, I know enough to be dangerous, but you know, that's a big, uh, thing with soil health and you know that's what we also bring to the table not only tires hey let's face it we love to talk tires but we've got some farmers sitting here i think they're concerned about soil carbon's a big deal so we're going to have some discussion going on so they can come back to the booth and please, we've got plenty of seats. I uh, see we've got a crowd here right now. And Mike, you'll be a perfect uh, moderator for that. So we're excited to see how that goes. Yes, we are. We're going to have a lot of fun with those panels. We're going to be bringing some information. Folks, if you are not at the Trelleborg booth quite yet, come by from 10 to 11 each day. We will have panels. We're going to be talking to folks about the issues that matter to agriculture and keeping those tractors and combines moving. Chris, we're heading into harvest season. we got farmers. Maybe they're taking a peek at those combine tires. They're thinking, Ah, maybe it's time to pull the trigger. Supply out there in the countryside. Trelleborg going to be able to meet demand for growers well, come harvest? Well, Mike, uh, I'm going to be honest. The market is very tight. Uh, but as I tell everybody, put the tires on order. Get in line. We're producing tires. You know, a good thing is uh, we've got a plant in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So we're producing, as I say when I'm on a sales call, we produce tires in the greatest country in the world. So we produce some combine tires in Spartanburg, but the market will be tight. Get to your dealer, get the order in, and uh, we'll, we're making tires every day. Absolutely. You've got that plant in Spartanburg, and the Trelleborg also makes some tires, I understand, up in Charles City, Iowa. Correct. That's our other plant, uh, which we're in the, the state of Iowa, so that's in Charles City. That's the Mitas plant. Again, uh, we produce combine tires there as well under the Mitas brand, so we're really lucky 
two plants in the United States. We're very proud of that, Mike. And if folks are coming to the Farm Progress Show, they want to stop by the Trello Board booth, they can also see something very cool. The Mitas tractor will be floating in the pond today. Is that right, Chris? Well, you know, and you you guys have mentioned it on the last couple of shows, uh, you and Max. And yes, it's out in the pond. Go out there. The Mitas tractor with our flotation tires and it. The tires are actually making the tractor float. There's no tomfoolery going on here. We're trying to stress the float power of flotation again, reducing that compaction. So stop at the pond. I think it's on the way to the uh, demonstration area, but uh, I think the tractor's running right now. Uh, I All think right. it started already, so take a look there. Fantastic, folks, get down there, check it out. Come by the next three days at the Trello Board booth 928 here on the Farm Progress Show grounds. That's on Central, right between 9th and 10th Street. More AOA coming up next. We're going to talk policy, we're going to talk equipment sales, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about tires. Stick around for more AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up choose the proven performance of the roundup ready extend crop system featuring high yielding extend flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of extend to max herbicide with vapor grip technology elite genetics triple herbicide tolerance flexibility that delivers results backed by 25 years of innovation that's the roundup ready extend crop system the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 B.C. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half 
don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA Live from Farm Progress Show 2022 continues. Just a reminder, we are in the Trelleborg booth. That's number 928. We're on Central, right between 9th and 10th. And it is time, folks, to talk policy. If you listen regularly, you know that yesterday we did not have our policy expert, Jackie Fatka, join the show. And we didn't because she was going to be here live and in person with a pretty big assignment on her to-do list today. Jackie, 1130 is going to be a, a busy time for you this morning. What are you doing? You know, we are, are very pleased to have Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack visiting the show today and so according to our records he has never been to a farm progress show and so we are excited to welcome him he will be making some opening comments at 11:30 in the hospitality tent and then uh max armstrong and i will be able to ask him a few questions and see a little bit more about what he's going to be talking about apparently he will be making an announcement on climate smart ag investments and so we'll see um with his opening comments what he has to say and obviously a lot on uh inflation reduction act and, and on last year's bipartisan infrastructure bill that did provide some money for climate smart ag and so i'm, I'm assuming that's where some of this money will come from but we'll see what details he might have on that today all right so that will be coming it must be I would assume a big announcement if it's the first time that the secretary has made it to the farm show here to farm progress to talk about it they were wanting to have some news and you know i wouldn't be surprised if it might be you know they have had their solicitation for some of the money for the the three billion in climate smart uh private public partnerships and so this might be a great opportunity to make those announcements especially because a lot of those groups or companies that might be involved in that would are here today and a lot of a lot of action on that front obviously from this administration and so we'll see but that's that's my thought on it going into it all right well that will be interesting to see and that's on the USDA side and Jackie I want to turn our focus over to the EPA. You've been writing on this for some time. They are taking aim at atrazine, a chemical we've used for 60 plus years in this country, find it in a pile of different herbicides. What is the EPA up to with atrazine? What start at the beginning? What are they trying to do? What they open up this summer? So they always have to do the re-registration. And so I think everybody had thought atrazine has been around for, like you said, 60 years. It's in nine, it's used in 90 different crop uh, products. Uh, so a, a very widely used and they are opening up for comments on the atrazine allowable levels. And so this actually is really concerning to a lot of farm groups. There's a lot of farm groups out there who are asking folks to make sure that you let EPA know how you use atrazine and if the proposed levels, which they are proposing it at a much uh, different level, we'll just say that. Substantially and reduced substantially for a reduced lot of corn and, and sorghum growers. And really, you know, some of the restrictions are, you know, you wouldn't be able to put it on any ground if it's wet 
or you think that it's going to be wet, or you know some of those restrictions that would really limit the ability to use it. And atrazine is, has been known to be very safe, and so this has been a little bit of a curveball and uh, very concerning for a lot of the ag groups. And uh, last week we did find out that they did extend the deadline. It was originally supposed to be September 6th, which would be next week, and they extended until October 7th. And so really hoping that a lot of uh, farm groups are, are really current, trying to encourage farmers, you know, let them know what it really means to do on the farm. Really make that point to EPA. So they have a lot of good comments from the ground from farmers who really know how it works and what it would mean if we don't have it in their toolbox. Jackie, a question I hear from growers and a question I've got myself, and you're plugged in enough in DC, maybe there's an answer for this. These comment periods that EPA has opened up, they presented this rule change. It sounds like it's kind of a done deal in the EPA business. Do the comments do any good? Is it worth it for farmers to get on there and register their opinions? I, you know, I always say, if you don't do it, what have you gained, right? So. I do think, you know, EPA, great, great ag advisor in Rod Snyder, who is at EPA. And so I think definitely he is trying to help manage some of this uh, pushback from the environmental groups and some of those at EPA who maybe don't fully understand the impact of it. But if we don't make those comments known on behalf of agriculture, then they have every right to push forward on something. And so, you know, that was something that the corn growers had mentioned in one of their quotes about trying to get their farmers to make comments is, you know, several years ago when a similar situation was in, there was over 10,000 comments who came in from farmers. So what a great uh, a way to really make sure that that message is shared by having individual comments from farmers saying, hey, I use this on a thousand acres and I use it at this level and I have this many species that are also on my farm that are, that, you know, they are not impacted on this. And you know, part of the issue with the atrazine uh, levels was that they were really not using what is actually used on the farm. And so they're thinking that this is really going to en endangered species are going to be impacted when it's three times the levels of what farmers are actually using it. That's a huge point. And I've heard that brought up by many of the commodity groups. I just want to focus on it for a second, Jackie. EPA ran models to determine how atrazine is affecting the, the lives of, of wild plants, notably aquatic grasses. And it was in those models that they used much higher than at levels than farmers do. That's the scoop? Yes, and that's and that's the concern. And that was really something that, you know, throughout this process, one of the questions you asked was, you know, how did this all start? Well. They've been saying for a while, the commodity groups are saying, hey, you can't run these models with these high levels. Well, then they ran the models with the high levels and then they proposed something based on those high levels. So they've been screaming pretty loud, hey, watch what you're doing, this isn't right. So we've gotta be able to document it. And then also, you know, when we document it too, I, th I do believe that if this goes to litigation or if there's a way that we challenge this after it does go into effect, then that also, you know, we went on record, we had all these farmers who said this, and then you still use that number. And so I think, you know, this is this is where the regulatory document really does matter. And yeah, sometimes it feels like EPA just does its own thing. They they run, they, the, they keep barreling through, but we've gotta be able to try to say, you know, we've gotta make this based on science and the science doesn't match up with reality of what we're using on the farm. So let's talk timeline, Jackie. If EPA, if everything goes the way they'd like, they've extended this comment period to October 7th, let's say it closes and they move ahead, could this be in effect for the 23 growing season or would it be pushed out to 24? Um, I would say with the timing that they're pushing right now this fall, they probably are trying to have something by the 2023 season. Uh, but, I, 
you know, if they have a lot of comments that come in, maybe that takes them longer to 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 read those comments. And then if they've got to repropose based on those comments, then maybe that pushes it out farther. You know, I know something I, I mentioned Rod Snyder at EPA, you know, they have been trying to work with what growers have. You know, we saw with Dicamba this last year, we're seeing some different things that they're trying to do to accommodate what does happen for a growing season. So they don't really want to throw a huge, uh, issue right in the middle of a growing season. So I do believe that if it doesn't come out early enough in the spring, we can cross our fingers and hope that EPA wouldn't push it out until 2024. And even if it comes out and it is proposed and it's finalized by EPA, you mentioned litigation is always the next step. There would likely be court battles. This would be a drawn out process, I assume. You know, that's part of the way, you know, EPA is probably understaffed. You know, I think we sometimes really don't like what EPA does, but, you know, EPA is forced to do a lot of things within a certain timeline because of courts. And so, you know, the environmental side uses this to their advantage, but there's nothing that, that you know, we, we as in those in agriculture, we might be able to, to utilize that as well. All right. Well, speaking of environmental concerns, Jackie, the state of California made an interesting vote this past week. They're going to outlaw gas engine sales after 2035. Is that really going to happen? I, I do think, or at least right now, it will happen. But, uh, you know, California does their own thing. The concerning thing with how California operates is, you know, some of those other states around that area, Oregon, you know, those other Pacific Northwest states, sometimes they try to follow suit too. And actually, EPA does need to, uh, they will have to give a waiver to California to do this. But, under this administration, they are also trying to push for an end to gas-powered vehicles. So does that make EPA more likely to approve this waiver for California? Probably so. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the corn ethanol industry is, and, and really just biofuels in general, you know, they've, they've been trying to encourage them. You know, right now they have a low-carbon fuel standard, which does allow for E85. They've had a really big increase in E85 sales here in the last couple of years because of the fact that they've created a system that encourages all technologies that reduce carbon. And, and ethanol is obviously a great component to a all energy approach to to reducing emissions and so unfortunately if you're moving all towards electric vehicles that does not include that and so there are some concerns with just the approach that they've taken they really have picked winners and losers and uh, that's that's not necessarily the most advantageous for goals right if their goal is really to reduce emissions then that's a problem. It is indeed. Jackie Fackett going to be here at Farm Progress. Breaking news from the politicians who will be here. And my goodness, there is going to be a pile of them, Jackie. You've got your work cut out for you. Thanks for joining us here today on AOA. We always appreciate it. Always great, especially in person, Mike. Indeed it is, folks. And we'll be back broadcasting more from the Petrella Board booth here, 928 on the Farm Progress show ground. So stick around. More AOA coming up when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 
Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risfet with this market update. Grain and soybeans continue to be under pressure as soy's improving yield potential and concern over the world economy has led to fund selling in the soy complex. The perception for beans is that yield is on the rise following some timely August rains. The recently concluded Midwest crop tour found soy yield to be just shy of a record at 51.7 bushels per acre and just below that of the August WASD, which was 51.9 bushels. Soybeans for the second straight day are reacting to the bearish findings, plunging early today and fueled by product weakness. Soybean oil is under pressure from the nearly $3 per barrel fade in crude oil, and soy meal appears to be backing off from the potential long-range double top on October meal. China's weakening economy, fueled by a series of COVID-19-inspired lockdowns and industrial plant closures due to energy issues, has cast a bearish pall on raw material demand. Soybean crop conditions were revealed to be unchanged at 57% good to excellent last week, with 97% of the crop setting pods. And China has bought 48 cargoes of soybeans in the week ending August 26. That's nearly twice the buying pace of the previous week, as Crush picked up to 1.73 million metric tons, up from 1.65. That buying spree was believed to include five cargos from Argentina and Brazil for September, which should bring September coverage to 90%. Another 32 cargos were purchased for October and two for November, mainly from U.S. sources. Let's get a look at the commodity numbers. September corn down nine and three quarters at 674. Beans September down 52 at 1482 and three quarters. Wheat Chicago September down 10 and a quarter at 809 and three quarters. Kansas City September down 12 and a half at $9 even. And the Minneapolis September wheat, that is down nine and a half at 908. While the Dow right now is down about 150 points, the dollar is sitting at 108.7 and crude oil is trading down about four and a half bucks at just over $92 a barrel. This is AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA marches on here from the Farm Progress Grounds, specifically 
the Trelleborg tent. That's booth number 928. And folks, we are going to be here all week long. If you couldn't make it down to Boone today for Farm Progress, there's two more beautiful days of weather ahead of us. A lot to see, a lot to take in at the show, and certainly a lot to talk about here at the Trelleborg booth. Joining me for this segment, we've got Andrea Masella, and I apologize, I have struggled with his name all morning. He has been a fantastic sport about it. Andrea is the commercial director for Ag Tires North America here at Trelleborg. Andrea, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Glad to be here. I mean, it's an exciting day, like you mentioned. Beautiful day. Please come and see us. Lots of uh, opportunity to talk about tides, farm, farming, and uh, we get to know our customers. So, yeah, we are. All right, and apologies for that. I still had you muted. I'm getting my, my feet ah, okay. under me here. Andrea, so you are the commercial director. Tell us, what are you excited about here at the Farm Progress Show 2022? Oh, yes. Oh, it's, first of all, glad to be here. It's been uh, after COVID uh, and a uh, few years, of course, in which last year we were here at the show. It was the first year after COVID, but I expect this year to be even better. You know, the weather is great. It's much better. I think we're kind of out of COVID. And uh, so we're excited about the traffic at the boot. Excited about meeting farmers that maybe in the last two three years uh, we didn't we didn't see because of the of uh, the recent event with COVID. So and a lot of new product to present uh, and talk about what's happening in uh, which which is quite a quite a thing, right? I mean we saw so many changes in the industry in the last few years. So discuss this with our customers. That's that's the exciting part. You know, that's the thing. There have been a ton of changes in the ag industry as a whole. We have certainly seen a lot of shifts in demand. We've yeah. seen upheavals in in production practices. From your perspective, talking about the entire North American ecosystem, Andrea, what have you seen this year? Has that farmer demand been pent up and it's just been very strong? Oh yes, let's say I've been in this uh, business for many years, you know, before back in Europe and now about 12 years in North America. Every year has been different, right? So, but the last few years has been quite crazy, we could say. One thing we can say is that the fundamental of the industry are solid. So trends can be up and down, but the, the focus on innovation, new technology, increasing performance, those are, are, are still there and that's where the trend is going. So sometimes it's nice to step back and see where the industry is going, um, not look at every single year. Yes, there's up and down years, it's a cyclical business, we all know that, but the trends are clear, you know, the industry is, is trending to uh, efficiency, uh, like new technology, larger um, piece of equipment, so that's that's what we have to keep in mind and of course the fundamentals are very solid i mean we, the need for food is there and it's only going to increase so i think farming is in a great position it will be better even better in the future so i think you're right and i think that's a great point about the you can't look at every year you've got to look at the big picture trends the cycles that are happening in this industry and yeah it's yes. tough to say we're not in an up cycle at this point with these factors all coming together and we're seeing it on the new side Andrea that you work with we're also seeing it on the used side and we've also got folks running around here at the farm progress show like Mr. Mark Stock the co-founder of Big Iron Auctions and Mark what have you been seeing on the resale side how has farm machinery demand been at the auction level uh, it's been very good. The, the market for used equipment is stronger than now than it was actually a year ago uh, because uh, the food and the fiber and the fuel that is being produced still needs to be produced. And with the supply chain is uh, still lagging a little bit behind, the availability to get the work done has to rely on the used equipment market. And they come to buy the low quality, uh, low-houred, uh, high-quality equipment 
that's being sold on these auctions. And we see a lot of farmers now that are in those retirement years. So the baby boomers are exiting from agriculture. And remember back in 2012 and 13 when we seen other high commodity prices, when people had a chance to uh, trade their equipment off and have brand new stuff, and if they were a, a you know, thousand acre farmer, they don't have a lot of hours in the last 10, 12 years on this equipment. So now that equipment's hitting the market and it's actually selling for more money than what they paid for it. Uh, and that's because you drive by the implement dealer's yards and you just don't see a whole big long roll of combines there. Uh, I know a lot of the uh, folks that I deal with, uh, you know, if they had 35 or 40 combines in a trade area they got from the OEM, they're only getting 11 or 12. So that means they need to find a good quality combine somewhere so they come to the auction. So it's very, very uh, uh, high demand right now for high quality equipment. That makes sense. People are willing to pay for the stuff that performs on their operation, gets those advantages in efficiency. And Mark, you mentioned the supply chain challenges. Andrea, you guys are truly a global company. You have seen the supply chain challenges firsthand. Do you feel as though we're, we're getting through them? Are things starting to normalize? I would say that, um, you know, like you mentioned, being global for us uh, has been a uh, it helped a little bit in the, in the fact that we manufacture ties in every uh, country where we, um, we supply product. So we're present in North America, in Europe, uh, in Asia. So being, being local and close to the customer would uh, avoid some of this uh, um, high cost of freight you know, to, to deliver ties across the ocean. So, but still, uh, the, the, I don't expect this to slow down uh, anytime in 2023. Like we mentioned, commodity price is still strong. There's a lot of uncertainty in many other industries. So uh, I would expect cost to stay, uh, not to go, to go down. So the focus is really on, uh, on improving performance, uh, on uh, efficiency of what we do, and uh, in order to try to minimize the impact of those costs to our customers. So, that's, I expect the trend to, to, to continue into next year. So. Yeah, it's going to continue. And, you know, you mentioned you've got the plant in Spartanburg. And Andrea, you yes. live in Spartanburg, Correct. South Carolina, yes. though Beautiful your accent doesn't sound like a typical <laughs> no. South Carolinian. No, I'm, I'm working on that, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so yes. the, the ability to have plants in this country, yes. you've got Trelleborg tires manufactured in Spartanburg, South Carolina, yeah. and in Charles City, Iowa. How has that helped help the Trelleborg brand meet that demand here over the past two years? Yes, I mean, the key is really to, you know, as every, every factory, we need also to supply materials to produce tires, right? So, uh, we're producing here, the key has been sourcing the material, of course, and, uh, of, and of course, um, we have to rearrange our shift in the factory in order to maximize the output, you know, work, of course, seven days a week, a lot of reorganization, a lot of, uh, uh, of course, hiring new people, training, very exciting, very exciting years. So, we build a base for a bigger footprint uh, growing our footprint here in North America also in the coming years. So there's been a lot of activity at the factory. Mike, I mean, I would love to have you down uh, one, one day. And of course, any, uh, any customer that uh, is, is nearby our plants in Church City, Iowa, or we plan to, to be down in the South Carolina, of course, uh, we'll please uh, look for us and uh, we can schedule a visit of the factory. Fantastic. I mean, see the technology. I mean, those two factories are the most modern factory when it comes to agricultural tires. When you say the most modern factory, yeah. do you mean like of all tire manufacturers, of, of ag I mean, tire manufacturers? We put a lot of technology in those factories. You know, consider one was st starting production in 2016. So we, had, we could benefit to, uh, to, of course, look at what we've done over the years in our uh, European factories get that technology, but also invest in more uh, 
uh, technology. So there is a lot of automation. Uh, it's really something worth to, to visit. And uh, same thing here in, North, in the factory in Iowa, which started production in 2014, and uh, we're continually investing in uh, in way to um, to keep that production going 24 hours. Like we know that finding people is not easy, so automation is the way to go. Where you can, uh, of course, uh, train your people to work with those machines. They make a much better environmental uh, uh, place to work, a mu much nicer uh, place to be, and uh, more exciting for the to retain people, you know, and uh, avoid uh, turnover in a factory. So you know, it's so amazing how having a, a quality place to work, a safe place to work, an efficient place to work just improves overall production. It it just makes people happier. It makes them more productive. And I've got a feeling, Mark, a lot of farmers are thinking that same thing as we get geared up for harvest season, might want a little more comfort, might want a little more efficiency, maybe it's time to get a new machine. I know combine prices have been strong at the auction level all year. Are, are they getting even hotter as we get close to harvest? They're getting a little hotter. They are. The prices uh, continue to improve the closer we get to running through the field. And uh, uh, that's kind of unusual this time because a lot of times you think people have their combines all bought up. They're still looking. They're still looking to find them. So. Uh, you know, the combines we've sold in the last couple of weeks uh, are stronger now than they were in the spring. And I wouldn't be uh, too uh, surprised if we don't see them actually sell very, very well in December again, too, as we have the 179 depreciation kick into play. So that's another angle that everybody will work with. Because remember, as Andrea said before, there's high commodity prices out there. And uh, the, the value of equipment, the value of land, it, uh, it's all relative to the price of corn and soybeans and cotton and and wheat, and uh, we've had some really good selling opportunities in the last year. Yeah, we, we certainly have. We've been a lot of opportunities in agriculture. Andrea, as you look out into 2023, you've got all of North America mm -hmm. under your purview. Are you excited about where you see agriculture headed in this next year? Oh yes, we, we look ahead, we look next year, but we look also like 2025, 20, 2026. We see where, where the um, equipment uh, manufacturing are going, you know, and what, what's the direction they're heading. I mean, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of new uh, machine, I mean, machine are getting bigger. And I think that, that's the way we're, uh, we're uh, envisioning uh, farming, right? So the way we develop product is to think about what's the next thing. And uh, the trend is um, farmer consolidation. So, of course, uh, there will be um, like contractors. And uh, so the, the focus will be really on maximize the, 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 uh, the output and the productivity of the activity. So I'm very excited about next year, but also for the year to come, for sure. It, yeah. it is going to be really, really yes. neat. How much bigger can these tractor tires get? Andrea, can <laughs> we just keep going? Exactly. That's what is the limit, right? <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I can tell you, there will be a few inches bigger for sure in the next few years. But <laughs> yes. yes, hopefully they will slow down then. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the innovation is always happening in yes. the world of agriculture. Tires are no exception. We're seeing the technology yes. come onto the market, make its way around, folks. We have been talking today to Andrea Masiella. He is the commercial director for Ag Tires North America. Andrea, thank you for joining us today. Hey. A pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. And folks, we've also been talking with Mr. Mark Stock, co-founder at Big Iron Auctions. Mark, appreciate it. We'll be watching for more sales heading into harvest. Thank you very much. And stick around, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to continue our coverage here at the Trelleborg booth, booth 928 at the Farm Progress Show. We'd love to have you stop by following our show today. We will be doing a panel from 10 to 11, so there is still plenty of time to drop back by. When we return, we'll continue our conversation for more here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, 
Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed. And they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, folks. Mike Pearson here. We are back in action. Apologies for that. At the 
show here for this, what am I talking about? Agriculture of America continues, folks. We are going to be talking with Kelly Garrett. We've got a whole team up here. Kelly, come on up. We're going to have you on the microphone here. Folks, we've got a panel coming up at 10 a.m. here at the Trelleborg booth. We are going to be talking carbon markets and really why that matters. And so we've got a couple of folks joining us here today to talk about what's going on in the carbon market space. Trelleborg is doing this because they are a force of nature and they wanna make sure that folks are working with nature as we're having this conversation. So we've got Lance Lillibridge, president of Iowa Corn here with us. Lance, thanks for jumping on, appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Mike. We've got Mark Mueller here, Waverly, Iowa farmer, joining us. Mark, thanks for jumping on. Happy to be here. And then we've got Mr. Kelly Garrett of Extreme Ag. And Kelly, we're going to have to get real snugly on this microphone, but come on in. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, Mike. So we're going to be talking carbon markets. And I wanted you folks to be on this panel because the question is, how do carbon markets work for folks who have participated in them? And Kelly, your name pops up. You are, I believe, the first farmer in the U.S. to sell a carbon credit. How's it been? Has it been a process that worked for you? Yes, it's uh, worked quite well for our operation. We didn't change the way we farm. We believe in no-till. We believe in cover crops and all the advantages it brings to our farm. That goes hand in hand with what the carbon markets are after. And it's been a pretty lucrative situation for us. All right. Lance, how about you? What's been your experience in the carbon markets? Well, I've I've sold some as well. Um, I'm maybe not as energetic as what some are with it. I've not had a bad experience, but I'm cautiously optimistic. Okay, cautiously optimistic. And how long have you been involved in it? A couple of years? About three years. About three years. And Kelly, what about you? This is my third year as well. All right. And Mark, what got you into the carbon market game? Um, I figured I needed to walk the walk. I myself am also a no-till farmer. We use cover crops. uh, And uh, we try to grow a variety of crops. Um, I believe in protecting our soil. I believe in leaving the environment better if I can. I was, uh, I was aware of a company that I was already working with decided to diversify into carbon credits. And um, I have been paid for my carbon credits, um, but I would use the word cumbersome to describe the process of, uh, of getting those checks. Um, I have done it. I will probably continue to do so, but it's not a slam dunk in my mind. And I heard something, I think, from all three of you, existing no-till growers. The, the, the concern I hear from a lot of folks as we start talking carbon markets is additionality. You got to do something new to get the credits. Kelly, in your mind, was it still worth it as somebody who was already on the edge of sort of the agronomic advantages of these programs? Yes. You know, we were 90% no-till up until about 2012. That's when we went 100% no-till, which qualified us. And then, you know, adopting carbon credits in 16 really put us over the edge to do so. And at first, when we were selling what they would call vintage credits, that additionality piece was huge. And it was cumbersome and it was a headache and a lot of growers felt like they did not qualify. But the new, the new programs that are coming out, uh, a lot of that additionality piece is going away. At least the markets I deal with are Nori and, and Truterra. And Truterra are great people to deal with. The, the nitrous oxide programs that are coming, the other programs that are coming out, they are very advantageous for the grower. And I think for the first time in my life, the farmer's being painted as a good guy instead of the bad guy. And I want to take part in that. 
That is a really good point. The idea that we can use these carbon markets to sell the advantages of agriculture to large-scale corporations who have a demand base for it. Lance, from the perspective of, of Iowa corn, as you see these things develop, is this something that, that you're excited about for the industry? It is. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a new, new thing. And yes. that, that's kind of part of the, you know, guys don't like change. Change is always change. And we have to, to mitigate through that and figure this out. Um, Kelly's had, sounds like, some great experiences. I've had good experiences, but I've also had some that are like, well, I'm not sure this is making a whole lot of sense to me. And so that's why I say I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I think I agree with your statement that this is going to paint a picture as the farmer is a good guy. And that's one of the things I think that we can really capitalize on this. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, it's always nice to be a good guy and get paid for it. That's not Absolutely. something that happens yeah. enough in the world. <laughs> Mark, how long have you been in the market? Three years? Did you start um, in 2020? Really, seriously, two years. I've been working with the company for about five or six years. And uh, um, okay, if I mention the company or Please. not. Please. Yeah, okay, if you're comfortable. The company is Indigo. And uh, I'll say this, they mean well. Uh, I worked with them on some research projects. They had a bunch of things. I would view it as investor money that's being thrown against the wall to see what sticks. And the next thing they're working on right now is carbon credits, which I think does have a pretty good future. Um, but my experience has been that, you know, I have a 30-acre field, I have a 300-acre field. It takes as many man hours to get that 30-acre field entered in as it does a 300-acre field. So where am I going to spend my energy? Um, I had. I've had various people that have served as the, the keepers of me, you know, to help me along through the sure. process. Um, I did send a terse email to upper management a few years ago, two years ago, and they sent some people out to my, they sent three people out to my house to just observe me entering in this data. And their estimate was that it should take two hours to do this. Um, after a while, they were getting as frustrated as I was, and, and two of them grabbed their laptops and helped me and it took the three of us a total of three hours to do it. Um, there are farmers whose, whose operations are so uh, well organized, they can push a button on the computer and get just about any information they need. And there are farmers who have all their records in a shoebox on the kitchen table. I am somewhere in between. Okay. And I will give Indigo great credit. They're going to incredible lengths to verify that I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing, that I'm doing what okay. I say I'm doing. If Indigo says that something's being done, they've done the legwork to make sure it is. But that legwork is, is onerous. Um, and I have spent hours and hours entering in past year's worth of data. Um, they are simplifying it, due in part to my complaints and probably some other people. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the first that has said this to them. And, uh, for example, they used to say, well, um, I'll get more to this. It's a lengthy thing, but they're, they're simplifying the process. They're extending the opportunities. They're increasing the payout. Okay. It's going in the right direction. And we'll have this conversation here at the Trelleborg booth number 928 from 10 to 11. If you're on the grounds, come by and see us, folks. Tune in tomorrow to more AOA. We'll be back live. We'll be talking other finds here from the Farm Progress Show. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.